interested in simple steps to heal the root cause of your health issues, whether it's anxiety, depression, insomnia, weight gain, hormonal issues, digestive issues, or any difficult to treat condition, Welcome to Heal Your Body, Cure Your Mind, where you'll get most of the answers for your health concerns and benefit from the latest techniques in naturopathic medicine, functional medicine, and psychotherapy to heal your mind and body together. As a naturopathic doctor, psychotherapist, and best-selling author, I've also created a free ebook and online course for you at drameet.com. That's D-R-A-M-E-E-T.com where you'll get tons of tips to heal your mind, your body, your emotions, your gut, your liver, inflammation, and other things that go wrong in your body. Without further ado, with lots of love to your beautiful heart, here's your podcast for this week. Welcome back to the Anxiety Summit Season 6, Toxins, Meds, and Infections. I'm your host, Trudy Scott, food mood expert, certified nutritionist, author of the Anti-Anxiety Food Solution. Today we have Dr. Amit Agarwal here to discuss the importance of liver in detox, how liver function is intricately connected to your mood and anxiety levels, and how to improve liver function and bile production. Voted one of the top 43 naturopathic doctors to follow, Dr. Amit combines naturopathic and functional medicine, gestalt psychotherapy, family constellations therapy, EMDR, and homeopathy to help people with trauma, anxiety, depression, and chronic disease. His best-selling book, online sessions and online courses at dramit.com have helped thousands of people heal their mind and body together with emotional release techniques and holistic medicine. Dr. Amit also treats poor communities and children living with disabilities in Kenya through his charitable work and sales of his book and online course. Very big welcome, Dr. Amit. It's a pleasure to have you back on the Anxiety Summit. We're going to be taking the liver discussion that we talked about on the prior summit in a new direction. And we're also going to touch on family constellations, therapy, and homeopathy. It's such a pleasure to have you back. Thanks as well, Trudy. Greetings from Kenya, everyone. I'm excited because combining mind-body medicine is seems to be like the new way of healing, right? And just excited about it. Good. We've got a number of people who are combining the mind and body aspects, and I appreciate the fact that you're going to be adding to that as well. So before we get to all of that, let's just talk about poor liver function and Mm -hmm. the different mechanisms on how it can affect your mood. We know there's the thyroid serotonin connection, there's a connection to the microbiome, and then there's also the GABA progesterone connection. So let's just start with this connection between the liver and thyroid and serotonin production, which we know is important for helping with depression and also helping to ease some of the anxiety that we have when we've got these ruminating thoughts and the worry and the reprocessing and maybe some of the OCD type of behaviors or thinking. Okay, great. Basically, the liver is responsible for everything in your body. It produces bile, which improves digestion and improves your microbiome. And as you know, your microbiome has bacteria that produce serotonin and GABA and all your other neurotransmitters. And so if you have insufficient amounts of bile, then your microbiome will be unhealthy and you'll produce unhealthy amounts of serotonin and GABA. The other thing, a research study done by Malik and Hodgson showed that the liver is super responsible for converting thyroid hormone T4 into active T3. In fact, they're saying about 60 to 70% of your thyroid hormone is activated in your liver. And so if you have liver stagnation or liver toxicity, this conversion doesn't go well. And your thyroid hormone is super important to help your brain produce serotonin. Your thyroid hormone helps 
the cells in your intestine stick together more tightly and to prevent leaky gut syndrome. So if you have compromised thyroid function because of liver stagnation, then you're going to get less serotonin production in your brain and you're going to get a worsening of leaky gut syndrome. And both of these things, of course, will affect your mood, right? Because when you have more leaky gut, then you have more chronic inflammation and chronic inflammation suppresses serotonin, GABA, melatonin, dopamine. So you'll experience more anxiety and depression based on liver stagnation creating or contributing towards leaky gut. There was another study done where people with hypothyroidism had less serotonin, concentration of serotonin in their frontal cortex. And just by improving thyroid function, the levels of serotonin increased in the brain. And that study is by Bauer and Wibro, and it's called Thyroid Hormone, Serotonin, and Mood, Synergy and Significance in the Adult Brain, in case any of the listeners are interested. Thank you. And that's important because we know about the connection between the thyroid and the catecholamines, but we don't often hear about this connection between thyroid and serotonin production. And the other thing that you said that I just wanted to come back to is you mentioned leaky gut. And if you've got a leaky gut, you're not going to be absorbing some of the nutrients, some of the precursors, some of the cofactors in order to make some of our neurotransmitters. So we've got that downstream effect as well. Yes, Trudy. And also very importantly, your liver is super responsible for releasing B vitamins as well. And so when you have compromised liver function, then you're absorbing and releasing B vitamins in a compromised way. So your neurotransmitter reduction is compromised as well. And then going back to the thyroid connection to the liver, you had sent me a paper, it was called The Relationship Between the Thyroid Gland and the Liver. And the fact that you said that so much is of thyroid hormone is activated in the liver, I don't think many people realize this. And so this makes it really, really important. We've got thyroid dysfunction, it affects the liver, and then the liver disease in turn modulates thyroid hormone metabolism. So we've got this sort of two-way connection going on. Absolutely. And I think that's why people with low thyroid function often experience constipation, right? Because the liver is responsible for producing bile, which lubricates the bowels. And so most people with constipation have a liver and bile issue rather than a laxative deficiency. A lot of people make a mistake of using laxatives to detoxify or to move their bowels. But if they just use herbs and supplements to help the liver function, and of course, look at thyroid function as well, then their constipation or sticky bowels would improve significantly. And then they don't get dependent on all these laxatives as well. Right. So we're getting to the root cause and we're addressing the root cause instead of just uh, medicating to try and get rid of the symptoms, which is the constipation. Absolutely. So you also write about in your book, uh, this connection in the liver between GABA and progesterone. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So the funny thing is, so we often think about mental health as a consequence of neurotransmitters alone. But the truth is that our mental health depends on our hormones and progesterone affects the way GABA works in your brain. So GABA is your anti-anxiety neurotransmitter, but it requires progesterone to work well in your brain. And your liver metabolizes all your hormones through phase one and phase two detoxification pathways. And if your liver is compromised, then you're likely to have lower progesterone levels and an estrogen dominance, right? And with low progesterone, then GABA won't work as well in the brain, leading to anxiety and insomnia. And so the liver and adrenals in the way that they affect your hormones will also therefore affect your neurotransmitters. 
Can you expand a little bit on how the adrenals come into all of this? Yeah, good question, Trudy. So your adrenal glands basically are your fight or flight organs, right? They produce adrenaline when you're threatened and they also produce cortisol. So with chronic stress that's unresolved or even unresolved childhood traumas, your adrenal glands are in a chronic state of fight or flight. And so they're going to use up all the B vitamins, the zinc, and all the nutrients that they need to survive or to function well. The unfortunate thing is that your body also needs these B vitamins to make neurotransmitters, and it needs all these other chemicals to make neurotransmitters. So when you're overstressed and you have unresolved trauma, then your adrenal glands are using up all the nutrients that you need to make your neurotransmitters. And so people with adrenal fatigue will often experience anxiety, depression, suicidal thoughts, OCD symptoms, because they don't have enough neurotransmitters, number one. Number two also is when your adrenal glands are burnt out, you get a cortisol imbalance. And when you have a cortisol imbalance, that also suppresses serotonin, dopamine, GABA, and melatonin, right? So the deficiency of minerals, as well as the cortisol imbalance, both create a neurotransmitter imbalance leading to mental health symptoms, anxiety, depression, OCD, there's a whole spectrum, right? I'm glad you made this connection because I always, with the way I describe it to my clients is we've got this little merry dance going on between the, the hormones and the neurotransmitters. And now you've brought the liver into it and you brought the bile into it and you brought the microbiome into it. So it's amazing how the body is so wise at how it works together and how we can have a problem in one area and it can cause some of these downstream effects. Now you talked about the role of the liver in a uh, uh, detoxing hormones. So we've got the liver that's needed to uh, detox from outside toxins, and then we've got the, the hormones that, that's also involved. And so can you just talk a little bit about phase one and phase two liver detox? And then I also want you to talk about phase two and how important it is. So when we have these self-generated toxins, we don't want to end up accumulating them and causing more of an issue. Right. <laughs> I call it autotoxicity. So... <laughs> Your liver is like this beautiful organ, right? It's one of my favorite organs. That's why I write about it. We have two phases. Well, three phases really in liver detox. Phase one basically takes all these toxins and makes them water soluble. So why do we need toxins to be water soluble? So that it can be excreted in your bile and through your urine. Now, phase one requires these nutrients called like glutathione and other nutrients, right? And phase one also metabolizes your hormones, drugs, chemicals, anything that's in your body and sends them into phase two. The problem is that phase two also depends on glutathione and many other nutrients. And if you have a deficiency of nutrients, phase two doesn't work very well. And so when phase one processes all your toxins and sends them to phase two, if phase two is not working very well, then there's going to be an accumulation of toxins, which is very harmful for your body, right? Because a lot of oxidative damage. So everyone who's focusing on improving liver detox, sometimes they forget about enhancing phase two liver detox. Phase two has, how do I say it? Many other steps within it. You have something called sulfation, amino acid conjugation, acetylation, there's methylation as well. All of these phases require different nutrients. Right? And so what I do is understand if there's a compromise in one of these phases, then we need to add nutrients specific to those phases 
So you talk about how there are these different phases in phase two detox and how there are different nutrients that are needed for each of these phases. So can you go into that a little little bit more, please? Right. Okay, great. So most of your toxins are stored as fat molecules in your body, and they need to be dissolved in water to help them be released from your body, right? Either in your bile or in your urine. Now, using a cytochrome P450 group of enzymes, your liver basically renders these toxins more water-soluble. And that happens in phase one. The problem is that phase one creates a lot of byproducts that need to be dealt with by phase two. And if phase two is running slow or ineffective, then you have an accumulation of toxins. And this accumulation is what causes a lot of oxidative damage in your body, right? And phase one depends on glutathione. What happens is phase two also depends on glutathione and other nutrients. When you have a lot of toxins, heavy metals, pesticides, too much alcohol, too much drugs, your body uses a lot of glutathione in phase one to process these toxins and heavy metals. That means that phase two has less glutathione and less other nutrients yeah, to process the byproducts of phase one. So you get this accumulation of toxins in your body, and that's going to cause a lot of problems downstream. Phase two requires glutathione and many other nutrients. Your B vitamins, folic acid for methylation. Then you have other processes like amino acid conjugation. So you need nutrients such as taurine and other amino acids. You have sulfation, and that's where you have your sulfur-containing foods that are super important. That's why everyone's eating broccoli and Brussels sprouts to improve liver function. You have other processes such as glucuronidation, which we'll talk about and why that's important with Gilbert syndrome as well. So all these phases have to be taken care of with the right nutrients and the right detoxification herbs as well to make sure that there's no accumulation of toxins from phase one. Great. Thanks for clarifying that because I think people often focus on phase one and they don't think about what, what's happening in phase two and they've got these more active metabolites that are going to cause more issues. So... Let's talk about, you mentioned a few liver-friendly foods. I'm glad you mentioned the high-sulfur foods. We've got the broccoli and the cabbage and the Brussels sprouts, uh, which actually also help with phase toxification, as you've shared. What other liver-friendly foods do you recommend that we think about consuming? And we're going to go into the nutrients in a second, but let's talk about some foods first. So I always start with bitter foods, Trudy, because bitter foods stimulate your liver to release bile, and that's really important, right? Bitter foods include arugula, radish, dandelion, and also adding turmeric in your food and your cooking will stimulate bile flow. Things like parsley, thyme, ginger, and also berries, they'll provide the antioxidants because remember your liver is going through a lot of oxidative damage, so you need the antioxidants. And then Indian cooking also has a lot of other spices like coriander seeds, fennel, turmeric, cumin, and those also help to detoxify your liver. So having a bit of spicy food will improve liver function. And then you mentioned the Brussels sprouts and the broccoli, cabbage, bok choy, onions and garlic, they also contain sulfur, which will help with liver detoxification, especially the sulfation pathway, which is really important for bile conjugation as well. Love it. I feel hungry just listening. And I love Indian food. And I I love that you mentioned the spices because we often talk about the foods and we forget about how beneficial some of those spices are. Can you give me ideas on how someone could use turmeric in just in like a a curry or in a beverage? Right. So what I do is I actually make a turmeric ginger lemon tea. Ginger is great for the liver. 
Turmeric is fantastic for liver and lemon, obviously stimulates bioflow as well. So I'll drink that once or twice a day. My mom or family always adds turmeric to their cooking. And you go to any restaurant, most Indian restaurants will have turmeric in their cooking. And the important thing is to add black pepper with turmeric because black pepper activates the turmeric. It helps it become more bioavailable. So black pepper is super important when you're using turmeric as well. So with your turmeric lemon ginger tea, you're obviously using a turmeric root and are you grating it or do you just uh, cut it into chunks or how do you make it? So most turmeric is readily sold as a powder, as a pre-prepared powder. So I just put the powder in. Of course, the fresh root is better. So I'll crush it. I'll just pound it a lot and then boil it because I like to have it in little pieces so that the ingredients are released much faster. Then I won't strain it. I'll actually swallow the root, all those pieces. So most people will put it, use a tea bag or use a sieve to filter out all the medicines. But I like to eat them so that my stomach acids process those roots further and get more nutrients out of them. I love it. So what about some other herbs for liver support? You've mentioned the B vitamins. Obviously, the turmeric is a good herb. You've mentioned some cooking herbs. What about other medicinal herbs that we might want to consider for liver support and then also for nutrients for improving bile production? So in my online course, I have a whole protocol for liver detox using these herbs. I'll mention some of them. One of the most important ones is glutathione. Very important. It's the major antioxidant for your liver. Then there's NAC. NAC helps your body replenish glutathione. The herbs that I love using include milk thistle, of course. That's the famous one for the liver. Dandelion is very important. Dandelion root specifically, because dandelion leaf is for the kidneys, but dandelion root is for the liver, and it helps stimulate bile flow. Then we have artichoke leaf as well. And then I use homeopathics as well, such as Nux vomica or lycopodium. There's other nutrients that we have to consider that are often ignored for liver function. One of the most important ones is taurine, because taurine helps with bile conjugation and liver detox. And then we have choline and inositol, very, very important for fat metabolism in your liver. So each nutrient has a specific function or a specific role with liver detox and a specific pathway. Okay, a few follow-on questions here. Do you have a time when you might use glutathione versus using NAC? And if you yes, hmm. what, when would that be? It's funny you ask that, Trudy, because I'm often conflicted when to use it, and I'll test it out energetically. Because some people get irritated with NAC, and they seem to tolerate glutathione much better. So I nowadays tend to use glutathione more than NAC. But if somebody energetically tests better for NAC, then I'll use NAC instead. Okay. And are you using NAC capsules or are you having people use the powder? Because the powder is pretty intense taste. You've got to really get used to it. But I found some people really prefer to do that and mix it in with water. What are you finding um, from your I'm patients? Using, I'm using capsules straight. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm using capsules. I don't put them through that process of doing the powder. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intense, isn't it? It's yeah. very interesting. There's been some research supporting NAC for respiratory issues and some potential benefits with coronavirus. So it's interesting to see that getting a little bit of a revival there. Yeah, I'm actually recommending that to my patients with coronavirus. I've been prescribing homeopathy, of course, and NAC to stimulate lung healing Yeah, because it reduces the damage caused by the cytokine storm and the inflammatory damage due to cytokine excess, basically, right? And they've done studies on that, actually, where NAC actually help tissue repair in the lungs post-influenza virus. 
Are you finding that it's helpful as a preventative as well, or when someone starts to get sick, and then also if once they are sick, is there a timing that you have found works better? I've been using it while somebody is sick. However, NAC and any other antioxidant, these all improve your immune function, right? So there's no harm in taking it as a preventative as well. What I'm doing mostly for prevention is a lot of zinc, selenium, vitamin A, and of course, the homeopathy. The other thing that I just wanted to mention about NAC is that it's uh, there's been a number of studies showing how beneficial it is for OCD and for phobias like hair pulling and when kids are plucking out their eyebrows and scratching, you know, scratching their nails, their nail beds until they're bleeding. So it's quite interesting that it has those mental health benefits as well. Absolutely. I combine NAC with inositol as well. Inositol is fantastic and choline as well for OCD. I use inositol, choline, and NAC for OCD-like symptoms. I love inositol and NAC, and I hadn't thought about using it with choline, so that's interesting that you mentioned that. No, inositol and choline are often sold together, and I think they work synergistically together, so I'll often prescribe them together just to enhance their function. Good to hear. I love hearing from practitioners who seeing what works and what, what is going to be effective. I've got one follow-on question. You, we're going to talk, you've mentioned earlier on that you use homeopathics with, in the work that you do, and you mentioned Nux Vomica and Lycopodium. Can you just give me an idea of when you would use either of these? I know there's a very specific indications for homeopathy. So Nux Vomica is often used when somebody has chronic constipation and is irritable. And there might be signs of heartburn, but they might not be. I also use nuts vomica if they've had a history of a lot of stress. And their poo is often very hard or like little sheep pellets. Lycopodium has more of the picture of gas and bloating, right? Indigestion and a lot of hunger or aggravation from hunger. So if they get hungry, they get angry or they feel anxious with hunger or they wake up in the middle of the night and the thing that helps them sleep is eating. So that's more the lycopodium picture. Like a podium picture is more of an anxious person and Natsvamika is more of an irritable person. Okay. It's interesting that you combine homeopathy with the nutrients. It's not often that we see this. We often have people who are just using homeopathy and then we've got people just using the diet and nutrients. And it's interesting that you combine the two. It's intriguing. And that's why I wanted to talk to you about it. And I've actually also heard you talk about using the homeopathy for specific toxins or maybe for when someone is tapering off a medication like a benzodiazepine. Can you talk to that a little bit? Yeah. So homeopathy truly is an energetic medicine, right? It helps heal emotional trauma from the past. It helps reset the nervous system. And the thing is, we cannot only rely on nutrients to heal us, right? We have to shift the energy we have to release the trauma that's making our body compensated, right? So if somebody is coming off drugs and medicines, we need to support their emotional state, not only biochemically, but their vulnerability, their energetic emotions. And that's where homeopathy comes in really well. So I'll try to understand the traumas the person has been through because there's specific remedies that can heal specific traumas. And then I'll also understand the specific symptoms a person has So some person with anxiety might have more OCD-like symptoms or fear of robbers versus somebody might have a fear of poverty, which is a different mental state. Or some person might be afraid that people might not like them and they're a people pleaser. So each different symptom points to a different homeopathic remedy. And when you give the right homeopathic remedy, easier for the person to come off their drugs, right? Because you're supporting the energetics or 
the emotional vulnerability of a person and they become less dependent on the medicine. And of course, I'll use psychotherapy and homeopathy to also release the trauma that put them in the state. So that's really important to combine healing the mind and the body together. Are you doing this in a layered approach? Like you might work with the nutrients first and then maybe think, well, now I need to consider whether there's going to be a role here for homeopathy and therapy. Or is it something that you do right from the beginning with everyone? Or is it really just dependent on each person? Awesome question, Trudy. So it is dependent on each person and often I'll do it all together. So when they come in for a visit, I'll understand their emotional history. And I also suspect because their physical history, they might have gas, bloating, fatigue. So I know they need some liver support. And most people have inflammation and they need to heal their gut, right? I'll put them on the protocol to heal their gut, their liver, and if necessary, their adrenal system. But sometimes I'll wait to actually heal their adrenal system because they might be toxic, right? So adding rhodiola or ashwagandha might aggravate their symptoms because they have too much, what we call in Ayurvedic medicine, too much heat in their system. So after we reduce inflammation and after we detoxify, then it's safer to include the adrenal support. But at the same time in the visit, I'll either help them release some emotions, which are stressing the adrenal system, and I'll also give them homeopathy to heal their past and their mental state so that there's less stress on the body and on the nervous system energetically. And when you do that, the supplements actually work better, right? Because the body's using less supplements because of emotional stress. Does that make sense? It does. That's very interesting. It's a really interesting perspective to hear. I appreciate it. That's why I love doing these summits too, because I get to learn as well. So thank you for sharing that. Going back to some of the nutrients you mentioned for liver support, we talked about NAC. I know people are going to want to know what sort of dosing are you using? Are you using like 500 to 1,000 milligrams or any thoughts on that? Truly, I always start slow, right? And I test it out energetically. Some people need it twice a day. Some people need a large dose all at once. But often I'll space it out like one tablet twice a day. And if they're aggravating, then cut it down to even just one tablet once a day. Okay, so you're finding some people, it's too much for them too soon and they need to cut back? Absolutely, absolutely. So Dr. Amit, I had the pleasure of reading one of your most recent books. It's called Liver Detox, Foods, Nutrition and Herbs. And in that book, you mentioned a herb that we don't often hear about. It's an Ayurvedic herb. It's called Mm -hmm. Trifala, T-R-I-P-H-A-L-A. And the reason I'm interested in it, firstly, is because I looked up the research and saw all the benefits. So we'll talk a little bit about that. But also before I became a nutritionist, I actually worked with an Ayurvedic practitioner when I was living in South Africa. And I'm just fascinated by the whole Ayurvedic principle. So let's just touch a little bit on Trifila. I know you use it in your work. And then you've got a a study that you're going to share with us. So Trifla is this beautiful combination of three herbs, right? Amlaki, which is Umbilica officinalis. In, in Indian, it's called Bibitaki, and that's Terminalia bilirica. I can't pronounce this well. And then Haritaki, which is Terminalia chibula. So the beauty of Trifla is that it has a, a synergistic effect on the entire body, right? It's immunomodulating, it's anti-inflammatory, it's an antioxidant, Uh, It helps the microbiome. It helps detoxify your body. So in Ayurvedic medicine, it's one of the first therapies that people undergo to, I think, reset their metabolism. So when you remove all the toxins and you tone down inflammation, then any other herb you add will work much better because you have less blockages in the system, right? 
And there was actually a study done where people were exposed to noise stress, right? The stress of just loud noises and stuff. And noise stress actually increases inflammation in your body. And they found that trifla reduces this inflammatory response. So in a way, trifla can be used to also tolerate stress. And what I do is I add it in warm water and I sip it during the day. Most people recommend taking it at night because it has a laxative effect. I personally haven't found a very strong laxative effect on it. So I'm comfortable just sipping it during the day to just tone my system and protect it and, and cleanse while I'm living my daily life. Interesting. It was so good to read about it. And I appreciate you sharing that. The paper that I pulled as a result of reading it in your book was called Therapeutic Uses of Trifola in Ayurvedic Medicine. And as well as some of the benefits that you just mentioned, it's also got immune modulating effects. It's antibacterial, hypoglycemic, so it'll help with high blood sugar, chemoprotective and radioprotective. So I was just blown away when I read all of those benefits. But the other reason why I was particularly interested and why I wanted to talk about it today is I've got some discussions going on in my Facebook group about misophonia, M-I-S-O-P-H-O-N-I-A, which mm -hmm. are people who have this issue with noises. And it's usually chewing noises where they, if I'm talking and they can hear me going, you know, when I'm talking or if someone's eating, they can hear the, the plate, the, the scratching on the plate while someone's eating or just hearing someone in the room next to them being bothered by just the chewing. And it's not even loud chewing, but they're just very, very sensitive to it. So when I yeah. heard about the fact that trifola could help in that area, that just, just thought, oh, that's interesting. Because what I've found is that for some people who have this misophonia or misophonia, however you want to pronounce it, they respond, it's like an OCD type situation and they respond well to serotonin support. They may respond well to NAC, which you just talked about, but now we've got yeah. trifola as well that might help them. And I guess it depends on what their underlying cause is, what the trigger is, and everyone responds differently to different things. So it's fascinating. Absolutely. And also for mesophonia, I use homeopathics like caliphos and phosphoric acid in the cases where somebody's had a lot of burnout and their nerves are raw, so they're oversensitive to things. You know, they don't have a shield or protection, and so they'll react to either loud noises or people chewing, they'll get irritable very easily. So homeopathy is a great addition as well as trifla, of course, and NAC like you mentioned. So just mention the two homeopathic formulas you mentioned there, Califos and? Califos and phosphoric acid I've often used for burnout states. And in burnout states, I've found that some people are oversensitive to noises, especially loud noises. So when you give them these low dose homeopathics, they jump less or they startle less. So I imagine even for mesophonia, they'd be less irritated with other noises going out in their system. So these homeopathic make the nerves less raw or less right. sensitive. And that makes sense because they just, it's like the nails scratching on a, mm -hmm. a chalkboard uh, that I remember <laughs> thinking about when I was a kid. And for some people, just hearing chewing, regular chewing, or someone eating a, a packet of crisps is just, and some of the feedback that I've had from people in my community, it's been so serious that they have to eat in a different room to the rest of the family. They can't eat out at restaurants. So it is a very debilitating symptom that is affecting people's lives. So I'm so glad we've got this, is this the trifola and the these homeopathics that you've mentioned as a possible additions. Your thoughts on serotonin support for this as well? Absolutely, because serotonin deficiency is often seen in OCD symptoms, right? And like you say, misophonia is a form of OCD. It's like it's a stray from the normal. You know, it's, it's something that's new or an added stimulus. 
And that can provoke a lot of anxiety or irritation in someone. So definitely using serotonin or inositol or Inositol, yeah. I imagine that would help a lot as well because it reduces the obsession, right? Because in OCD, we really get obsessed with small, small things, either germs or noises or something new. We just want that familiar state all the time as much as possible. Well, thank you for all of that. That was an interesting discussion. And so let's just talk about something else related to the liver function, and that's Gilbert's syndrome. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is when I was getting ready for this interview, I posted on social media and I asked my community, I'm going to be interviewing someone about the liver. Is there any specific questions that you have? And I was very surprised to have five or six people ask about Gilbert syndrome. And it's not very common. I've worked with a few clients with Gilbert syndrome. It's not something that we hear a lot about. And a lot of people will go to the doctor and they're told they've got Gilbert syndrome and there's absolutely nothing that we can do. So I asked you if you could take a look at this and give some feedback. And we often have anxiety and depression with Gilbert syndrome. So if you could just go ahead and share what you found, I think that'll be very helpful. Yeah, with pleasure, Trudy. So Gilbert syndrome is compromised glucuronidation detoxification. What does that mean? So in the second phase, phase two of liver detox, you have this pathway called glucuronidation. And when it's compromised, basically your body cannot break down bilirubin and excrete it as bile. And so there's an excess of bilirubin going on in the blood. And so somebody will look jaundiced, either yellow eyes. And bilirubin is also a neurotoxin, so it irritates the nerves. And somebody will be more prone to anxiety, depression, and insomnia. Right? They've even done studies with people with schizophrenia and found that they might have, that they often do have high bilirubin levels. And so what I like doing is basically supporting the formation of bile acids, right? And there's another pathway called sulfation, and that can also help conjugate more bile acids. And I imagine that will help pull out more bilirubin from the blood. And so I'll use things like taurine, there's red cabbage also, which has molybdenum, which is important for sulfation as well. So all these things I imagine will help the body detoxify. And you want to support, of course, every single pathway, right, in the body, in the liver. Because imagine if liver phase one is building up toxins for phase two, and your poor glucuronidation pathway is overwhelmed, then you're going to get a buildup of everything else going on in the body, right, all the other toxins, so just enhancing liver function and then using taurine and phase two specific nutrients, I imagine you can help reduce the symptoms of Gilbert syndrome. And then address some of the other downstream effects that are causing some of the anxiety and the depression, maybe with some of the other things that we've talked about, homeopathy, and then also some of the therapy approaches that you use as well. So this would be just one area to look at. Absolutely, yeah. And the root cause in Gilbert syndrome is this genetic defect that's causing the reduction in glucuronidation, right? So that's the prime focus there. And of course, I believe that chemicals bring up unresolved traumas and emotions that need to be healed. So for example, if somebody has gone through a trauma and they, they have a gluten sensitivity, then the gluten will bring up more anxiety because the person's gone through trauma. So by healing the trauma, and the stress from the past, then the irritation of the nerves, I believe, would bring up less anxiety. 
very interesting. I'm going to come back and talk to you about the trauma aspect and one of the approaches you use called family constellations. But if we can just finish up the Gilbert syndrome, if you can just repeat again for folks what the marker is that they would that would have been measured on their blood work that would indicate that they do have Gilbert syndrome. The high bilirubin levels. Okay, great. Bilirubin. B-I-L-I-R-U-B-I-N. And I believe you can actually do genetic testing as well. So through this interview, you've talked about trauma. And during the summit, we've also had Nikki Gatrix, Gatrix talking about adverse childhood experiences and Dr. Eva Dedko talking about the importance of healing trauma for vagus nerve support and overall healing. And you use family constellations. And I'd love you to just share a little bit about what family constellations therapy is and how you use it. So truly, we're born into family systems, right? And our ancestors went through trauma. Our parents went through trauma. Everyone's carrying some sort of trauma. Our parents and grandparents' physiology is affected by trauma. And so when we're born into these systems, our physiology is also more primed for anxiety, depression, or stress based on the genetic changes that happened to our ancestors. And combining EMDR, gestalt psychotherapy, and family constellations, there's a way to release the loyalties or bondages to these traumas from previous generations, right? The therapy is called family constellation therapy, where we use certain sentences to help heal. For example, if your mom was abandoned by your dad, and then your mom created a strong bond with you, suddenly you became like her partner rather than her child. And she shared her sorrows and pain, and you took on a responsibility for her sorrows and pain. And a healing sentence could be something simple like, dear mom, I love you very much. You're the big one. I'm the little child. You can carry this with respect and heal your path so that I can live my life as the pure child for you. And I thank you for giving me the life you've given me. I know it sounds a bit strange, but these healing sentences actually release us from almost karmic or energetic entanglements that we have with our parents and our ancestors. Another example is if your mom had a miscarriage or an abortion before you and you think you're the first child, you might have a lot of unexplained anxiety that doesn't go away with medications or even nutrition and homeopathy. And what I've found in clinical practice is by recognizing that you are the second child in your family system and you give a place to the aborted or miscarried child, you will suddenly calm down because you recognize your correct position in your family system. And family constellation therapy is an exploding therapy out in Europe and in North America now because it's really getting to the root cause of a lot of emotional imbalance. Very interesting. Is it related to some of the research that we're seeing on intergenerational trauma? Is that where... Absolutely. Absolutely. So they're seeing children or descendants of Holocaust survivors are more prone to anxiety, OCD, and mental health symptoms because the genetics of their ancestors changed, right? Their ancestors had to cope with a lot of trauma and abuse. So their physiology changed, and that physiology is passed through the sperm and the ovum down to the children. And we're seeing this in indigenous and black communities as well, where there's been this ongoing systemic racism that's being passed down from generation to generation. So thank you for sharing that. That's so interesting. I'm so glad that we we got to mention that. I love to bring new information when I'm doing these interviews, and that's something that we haven't talked about. So thank you for sharing that. It's um, there's so much that we can we can do to help uh, people heal, and we we don't want to forget about the trauma aspect. I think it's really really important. 
information, right? That's exhausting our nervous system, Trudy. Very, very interesting. So in my interview with Dr. Perlmutter, we talk about how giving boosts endorphins and how when we get that endorphin boost, when we give and we donate of our time or money, it actually has an impact on our immunity. So it, it gives us this immune support as well. Now, yeah. you do uh, community work in Kenya. And firstly, I have to just say I love Kenya. It's one of the most, my favorite places in the world. I know that, because um, I mentioned this the last time we did this, we did an interview that uh, my husband and I had a honeymoon there. We climbed Mount Kenya. Yeah. Then we went to Tanzania and we climbed Kilimanjaro as well. So Wow. Uh, we spent six weeks there and I absolutely adore it. And when I hear about you doing this work um, in the community there, it just takes me back to the amazing time we had there meeting all the, some of the amazing locals. And so I would love you to just share about the work that you do in the community, because I just think it, it just brings so many things together that we've talked about on the summit and today. Thanks, Rudy. It's a pleasure. So giving is an act of love, right? And I think we're born to love. And unfortunately, we're so busy with transactional interactions and relationships that we forget about the love. And so what I find for myself and for the volunteers who come, when we do community, when we give our time selflessly and we don't ask for anything back, it's almost like we're going to the more natural human state of just giving and community living. And I think then you feel more connected to people. And that sense of belonging, even in family constellations, it comes up, that sense of belonging will boost your immune system. And so I left Canada to do mobile clinics for poor communities in the north of Kenya, driving around in a jeep and giving homeopathy. And now what I'm focusing on is these children with disabilities. They've been abandoned because of their disabilities. Yeah, their families or communities think they're a curse to this community. And I'm using homeopathy there, either to release trauma from the system or help develop mental issues, hopefully also increase the body's ability to absorb nutrients. Because we have like... 11, 12-year-old kids that look like three-year-olds. It's unbelievable, right? Because they've been deprived of nutrients from a very young age. I'm also using homeopathy to help with their joints because they're all contracted because they've been left without help to walk and things like that. So I'm hoping for good results. And I support this work through the sale of my online course and my book. So if anyone's interested in my online course and the book, please, it'll, it'll help me continue my community work. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing. And this, this, um, I'd like to, you to just give folks where they can find out more about this, your book and your website and how they could get involved in this if they're interested in that. The website is dramet.com, D-R-A-M-E-E-T. It has a link to the charity work. It has a link to my online course and the books as well. Wonderful. And I know you, at one stage, you were inviting people to come out and get involved on the ground in the charity work. Are you still doing that? I've put a hold on that, one, because of coronavirus and security issues. And also when my mom passed away from cancer, I had to put a pause on that. But I'm thinking about opening up again, somehow combining that with more personal development as well. Because I'm a psychotherapist and a family constellations therapist, I want to combine emotional healing experience and some voluntary work in the communities. I love it. And uh, sorry to hear about your loss. I'd love you to just end with final words of wisdom for us today, Dr. Amit. Okay, I'm just going to tune in. What's coming to me intuitively is using love as medicine. And the word forgiveness comes. So forgiving others, forgiving ourselves. We're so busy criticizing ourselves and trying, we have all these shoulds in our minds. So recognizing that a lot of shoulds and expectations and criticisms come from information that's not 
ours innately as children, right? We're fed this by society from traumatized parents. So working with family constellations, working with psychotherapy to release these mental stresses from our physiology so that nutrition can work better, so that homeopathy can work better. So really focusing on self-forgiveness and also letting go of the bonds we hold on others if we haven't forgiven them yet. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. And as someone who works primarily with nutrition, I love the fact that we've got something that's going to help nutrition to work better. This has been absolutely fantastic, Dr. Ami. Thank you so much for taking your time to share with us today. Been a pleasure, Trudy, and thanks everyone for listening. Thanks a lot, Dr. Amit, and thank you everyone for tuning in to another amazing interview on the Anxiety Summit. I do encourage you to join us for other great interviews on the summit. This is Trudy signing off. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can go deeper in your healing with amazing remedies and therapies covered in your free online course and ebook on drameet.com. That's D-R-A-M-E-E-T.com. Lots of love and thank you. God bless.